Hello, thank you for listening to Remnant Bible Fellowship. This is Brother Jonathan. Today what we're going to be talking about is the importance of the Word. And when I say the Word, of course, I mean the Bible, the Word of God. So before we begin, let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray that you would just be with me, Lord. Give me your words to speak, Lord, and help me to speak. And just words that would edify, Lord, and that would build people up, Lord, and encourage them in your word, Lord. And I pray that you would open their hearts to receive these things, Lord, and that you would give them a better understanding and a desire, Lord, to seek you, Lord, with their whole hearts, Lord, and that you would bless them, Lord, for doing so with a greater knowledge of yourself, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, whenever I was first saved, I was working midnights, you know, at a a gas station. I just found a gospel track and read it, you know, and I became I got cons- I got saved through reading it. Um and I kind of wandered around for a couple months and really didn't know what I was supposed to do. There weren't people around me that were strong Christians or anything. Um, and the people that called themselves Christians, you know, they were not the kind that really ever even talked about Christ and that kind of person. And it was after about six or so months, uh, a couple months, that it just entered into my head. Well, it's like, well, if I'm a Christian now, then Christians read the Bible, and so I need to read the Bible. And so I went to a Bible bookstore, you got a Bible, you began reading. And of course, not long after that, or so then I started looking for a church. But whenever I began to grow, it was because I got into the Word of God. And it was a direct result from getting into the Word of God. And... I have never met a strong Christian. I have never met a sound Christian. The type of person that you know is a Christian. It's beyond doubt. And the type of person who loves the Lord. And they direct their lives by that fact. I have never met a single one or have ever read of a single man or woman in church history who was greatly or even moderately used of God, who was not themselves a serious student of God's Word. Uh, For example, John Wesley said of the Word of God, he said, I have laid it up in my mind like a choice treasure to be ready upon all occasions to counsel, quicken, or caution me. And you read of these men such as Wycliffe and Tyndale, Coverdale and all these sorts of men in church history who gave their lives so that others could have the Word of God in their own language. The importance of the Word of God to a Christian, and indeed to all men, it cannot be quantified, it cannot be stated in a clear enough manner. And so this, what we're going to talk about is not necessarily the reliability of scripture or about Bible translations. That's a different subject. That's a different topic. We're just taking a very basic look at some things 
as to why the Word of God is important. And so if anybody desires any sort of talk about whether or not the Bible's reliable or the differences between the translations and those sorts of things, um, just ask, and then we will do a whole episode on it. But taking into account that even the longest chapter in the Bible is on the Word of God, Psalm 119, that's pretty significant and should show how important the Word is by God himself towards us whenever he chose the longest chapter, the longest part of his word in that sense, is on the Word of God. I think there's a reference to the Word of God in almost every single verse, and it's about over 150 verses long. I mean, that's longer than most books, in uh, some books in the Bible. And so we have verses like this from Psalm 119, and I do encourage you to read it regularly. Because there's very there's many promises, there's many statements that um, really need to sink down into your ears. Um, one of the most quoted verses from the Bible is Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Stating, you know, the word of God directs our steps and is meant for that purpose. Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, 11. Um, sh- showing the diff- this showing the importance of knowing the Word of God to keep us from sin. Psalm 119, verses 15 and 16, I would delight myself in thy precepts, and have respect unto thy ways. I would delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Another psalm that talks about the Word of God is uh, Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So you have several promises there about the man that is blessed by the Lord. He's one that does not walk in the ways of the Lord of the world. He does not walk in the way of sinners nor see the scornful, but he delights himself in the law of the Lord, the word of God. And he thinks about it day and night, and he shall bring forth fruit even when there's famine. And it says that he even shall prosper. It's not necessarily talking about financially, but that which is much more important. And so we see many promises about those that are in the word of God. They're blessed by the Lord himself. They, they will not forget his word. They will be kept from sin and these sorts of things. And that's for the main point that the Word of God is likened unto spiritual food for the spiritual man. A Christian is one who has been born of the Spirit of God. They have been quickened by the Lord, made alive on a spiritual level with the Lord. And the Word of God is that spiritual food that a spiritual man needs to be strengthened. And if he doesn't eat regularly, he will starve to death in that sense. And so why is the word important? Well, let's just start looking at um, some scriptures. Uh, one, one of the most clearly stated passages about why the word of God is important is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And someone rightly stated that this verse, uh, verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, says very clearly what's right, what's wrong, how to get right, and how to stay right. 
as the reasons that we have the scriptures. And so the scripture says in Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen and seventeen, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so let's break that down. It says that Scripture, um, and when we say Scripture, we do mean the Word of God, is good for and profitable for doctrine, which is what's right. See, the word doctrine means what is taught by an instructor. And if it's from the Word of God, then it's God's instruction in that sense. The written Word of God is the only infallible source of doctrine or teaching about the God of heaven. He gave it for that purpose, for doctrine. We have creation and conscience to bear witness to his existence and law, but the specifics beyond that are found in the Word. You can't learn the intricacies of, you know, the character and nature of God or his commandments plainly and explicitly just by creation and conscience. You, the Lord has made it plain, literally in black and white, by giving us his word for the purpose that we can know what good doctrine is, know what is right, so that we may do it. The Lord has not left himself without witness. And it's very important to understand that because spiritual things are subjective. They must be judged. There's many unclean spirits that are gone forth in the world. And we're told that a third of the angels rebelled with, you know, Lucifer whenever he was, whenever he fell. But, and they have influence. They have power. They can do things. They can speak to people and move people and do things also. And so there is much deception in the world. And so people will tell you, well, you know, do you, are you saying that somebody who's a Buddhist isn't spiritual? It's like, no, no, they're spiritual. It's just not the spirit of God. And this is why spiritual things are subjective. They can, people who get into meditation in the Eastern mystical sense, people who get into um, these Eastern religions and yoga and these things, they have spiritual experiences at times. It doesn't mean that it's God, and it doesn't validate any of it. Even the prophets were told by Paul the Apostle that they were to be judged in talking about in the church. In 1 Corinthians 14, 29 through 30, he says, they're not all authoritative in the sense that they do not dictate to men what is what. They were to be judged by that which God had already revealed, just like the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets were not supposed to be revered until they were proven. We read that in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 21 through 22. And specifically when we read about Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. And the measuring line that we hold up today to examine teachers is the word of God. We read in Acts chapter 17, verses, verse 11, that the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Paul came and started preaching Christ unto the Jews in the synagogues, and the Greeks also in Berea, and they didn't just immediately reject him, they checked what he said by the Old Testament scriptures, knowing that God would not contradict himself. 
And Paul also told Timothy, who was a young pastor, he said, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. And so he tells him, give attendance to doctrine. He also tells him a couple of verses later in verse 16, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now he's not talking about saved by works there. He's talking about giving attention and attending unto the things that the Lord has said. You know, And so he's not saving himself in that sense. That's not what he's saying in that sense, that earning his salvation, but that he's giving attention to the things that God has given and by giving himself to the things of God, God is able to save him. That's, you know, one of the conditions of the gospel is that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, but that's a response to hearing it. Now, there are ways that doctrine can be abused. Doctrine is not an end in and of itself for people to say that they have the truth and then do nothing with it. We are not to be hearers of the truth only, but doers of the truth also. James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. And there are whole denominations that glory in their doctrine and not in God. They have knowledge without wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge correctly. So they are like engineers marveling at a bridge that's exquisite in design saying marv- how marvelous is the bridge, how wonderful, but they never walk across it, and so they never benefit from its intended purpose. They're not using the scriptures for their intended purpose, which is to guide their life and their relationship with the Lord. But that's not a perfect analogy with the bridge. Doctrine's purpose is to reveal things about the person, mind, and working of the God who is invisible to the eyes at the current time. The Word of God is an earthly and tangible record of spiritual realities for us. That which it records as truth about the spiritual realities invisible to our senses as yet is what we call doctrine. You see, the shepherd has determined by his wisdom the way for his sheep to go in. If they go beyond that, They're going out of the determined course of the shepherd. Now, yes, the word is to be studied for the purpose of obtaining right doctrine. Absolutely. That's what we are specifically told. But even more so for the purpose of seeking, knowing, and serving God correctly. That is, according to right doctrine, what's right. See, all roads may lead to Rome, but only one leads to God's heavenly city. The word of God is also for reproof we read in second timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and that means for telling us what's wrong in proverbs we're told for the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life proverbs chapter 6 verse 23 if you are a christian you are getting used to being reproved by god the word of god sets forth god's standards of righteousness When we hold it up to ourselves, we are shown our faults. That's what reproof means, setting forth faults. But as those born of the Spirit of God, that's what we desire. We read in John chapter 3, verse 21, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. A Christian wants to know, and indeed longs to know, what their faults are. 
I want to know my faults, my shortcomings, and my blind spots so that I can get them right before God. I want to be pleasing in His sight, and that requires that I be shown where I am not pleasing in His sight. The Word of God is that lamp and light to show us our faults. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we read, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. It is the Word of God that we look into to compare ourselves with God's standard of what needs to be changed in us to bring us into agreement with Him. Two cannot walk together unless they be agreed, Amos chapter 3, verse 3. This means that we must change to walk with God. Notice also in that verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, that as we continue to look into the Word of God, that it is the Spirit of God which changes us. The Word and the Spirit go hand in hand and will never contradict each other, but they will work together for the same purpose, to change us to grow up into Christ in all things. The Word of God is also for correction, we're told. That's how to get right. As much as the Lord will use His Word to tell us where we're wrong and what needs to be changed, He won't leave us without telling us what we need to change too. Today it's sad to see that the professing church, and I do emphasize the professing church of Christ, doesn't want the same standards that God does. The majority don't seek out of the book of the Lord to know anything about what God expects of them, about what God says is right or wrong, what is clean or unclean, what is righteous and what is godless. They've allowed themselves to be deceived into thinking that because they said a prayer or made a decision that God's going to do the rest. Now, in a sense, they're right. God is the one who saves, but man's part is to be committed to him. The Lord opened Lydia's heart, we read in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, that she attended upon Paul's words. He will open people's hearts and give them understanding, but their commandment from him is to abide and continue with him. God will not drag you kicking and screaming to heaven any more than he will drag you kicking and screaming to read and study his word. If you cared to be instructed by him, then you would willfully and intentionally attend to his word. God has not hid his word in that sense. Man, for the most part, has just refused to obey him. And that's the same thing that he spoke through Ezekiel and these prophets in the Old Testament saying that they were nothing but a lovely song to the people. They'll hear it, but they won't do it. They'll hear all these commandments and they'll say, yes, that's right, but they refuse to obey. Next, we're told that the word of God is for instruction in righteousness. That's how to stay right. And we can finish 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 with this part. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Man in black and white, all that he needs to know to stand righteous before him in Christ Jesus. Having confidence of heaven, victory over all the devices of every enemy, and have fellowship with his God. We may be perfect before him, he says, yet few will take the necessary time to seek him. And it does take time, just like any relationship. 
The Bible is sold at the dollar store next to coloring books in America. We eat fast food meals that cost more than a Bible in the United States. Just like the Lord has said, to whom much is given, much will be required in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. I mean, what are people going to say at the judgment? I'm sorry, Lord, Game of Thrones was really good this season. If you had any idea of the reality of heaven or hell, you wouldn't be wasting your time playing video games or watching TV and movies that don't profit. I say that as somebody who struggles with the temptation of entertainment regularly. But the reality of the coming judgment convicts me of the need to be watchful and instructed in righteousness. Next, the word of God is for growth. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, that as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Now, Peter isn't implying that it's only new Christians who need the word of God. New Christians have a zeal for wanting to know God's word that can fade over time if they let it. We all need to keep that zeal there. We need to keep the newborn desire for the word, and the results are that we will grow. That's what Peter said. He says, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. And so if you don't continue in the word of God, you are not going to grow thereby at all. Remember, it's spiritual food. The spiritual man will starve, and a starving man doesn't exactly grow very well. Next, the word is important for equipping us to serve God. It says in 2 Timothy 3.17 that the man of God may be perfect, throughly furnished unto all good works. That means that we have everything we need to serve God. In Ephesians chapter 6, we are told about the armor of God. That is, the spiritual equipment that God has given us to do battle on the front lines of his war. It uses the illustration of a soldier's armor and equipment in that respect. People try to cop out sometimes. God has an army and he'll fight my battles for me. And they'll misapply certain things from the Old Testament. Yes, that's true, but don't forget that you're a soldier in that army of his. You are supposed to be fighting God's battles. He'll put you somewhere that he sees fit, but that's where you're supposed to fight and stand. And if you read Ephesians chapter 6 in that passage, you see that the only weapon listed in the armor is the Word of God. It's referred to as the sword of the Spirit. Again, we see the connection between the Word of God and the Spirit of God. What good is the shield of faith, which is another part of the armor of God, without the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God? You would be able to defend yourself from darts, but you won't ever be able to move forward in the battle for victory. That takes a weapon. Now, practically, faith needs an object. We put our faith into things or people. God's Word gives us both, truths to believe and the person of Jesus Christ to believe on. You need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the shield of faith together in order to be effective. If you want to be spiritual, be filled with the Word of God. Jesus said, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. John chapter 6, verse 63. It is the Spirit that quickens you, as the Lord has said. His words are spirit and life. 
On the basis of Christ's own words, therefore, I don't consider someone spiritually minded who doesn't love the Word of God. The Word of God is our only true, infallible spiritual weapon. And when I say infallible, that means it's the standard. It is beyond reproach regarding the things of God because he's given it to us in order to be that objective witness, to be that objective standard to measure the things that need to be judged or interpreted, such as spiritual things. I heard an interesting story one time about Galileo where he was trying to show people through his telescope that the moon itself did not have a perfectly smooth surface as the Catholic Church taught. And so he would pull people up and he would show them through his telescope saying, see, you can see the caverns, you can see the ravines and all these things. And they said, oh, well, yeah, that's, yeah, I can see what you're talking about, but over that is a crystal clear glass surface that is perfectly smooth. What are you supposed to do with somebody who reasons like that? They have absolutely no objective, factual basis to say yay or nay. It's just they said it. And so the only thing that you could say if you didn't have an objective standard is, well, you know, that's just, you're just saying that, and, but they're not going to reason with you if they stick to that. And that's actually how Galileo fought back with them. He said, yeah, but actually over that crystal clear glass surface is another crystal clear glass surface that has canyons and valleys. Then, of course, they had to deal with their own line of reasoning, which is what he meant. And that's what some people in the church or some people who profess to be members of the body of Christ do. They say, well, God told me this. and But they have no basis to say so. They say that they're their own leading in that respect is more authoritative than God's word. And we'll, we'll go over that in a minute. But you see then when people say that, who has the authority to tell them they're wrong? Or who has the ability to check what they say, whether it actually came from God? And so the word of God is our only true infallible spiritual weapon. With it, we can be spiritual-minded servants of the living God. Next, the Word of God is given for our comfort. Paul the Apostle also tells us, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. We've been given promises directly from God who cannot lie. When we stand upon His promises, we can be at peace in the middle of terrible earthly circumstances. We can be certain of things that are not visibly seen, and of things that have not even happened yet. We also have the testimonies of men of God who walked before us, Noah and a global judgment, Daniel being cast to lions, the three Hebrews thrown into a furnace, Jeremiah being protected through the judgment of God against Jerusalem, and many who were faithful unto death. The Lord took care of them and protected them until their time to depart. These things were all written for our ability to walk with the same God. And we can absolutely learn patience and comfort from the scriptures. Next, the word of God is important because it is necessary to be saved. And there's some people who are going to bring up some objections to that. Let me speak first. If you don't have the word of God, then you don't have God. We are told how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Romans chapter 10, verse 14. And also, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Men cannot believe on a Savior they have never heard of, and they can't obey commandments they are not aware of. If faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God, then we can also say that without the word of God, there is no hearing, and without hearing, there is no faith. Where there is no faith, then there is no salvation. Now, does this mean that if someone doesn't have a physical Bible, such as in persecuted countries like North Korea, that they aren't true Christians? No. But without a true knowledge of God, which comes by his word, they can't be saved. They have to have heard the truth and kept it in their hearts and minds, the truth of the gospel. As the Apostle John said, Let that therefore abide in you, or continue in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. 1 John chapter 2, verse 24. I will say this, though. I have never read a testimony from a Christian who underwent terrible persecution, tortures, and imprisonments, who did not say that they desired a Bible more than anything, anything else while in prison. Most survived because they held fast to those passages that they memorized before they were imprisoned. I will say to you, if you were imprisoned tomorrow to be tortured and endure such trials of faith, are you confident of your foundation in the knowledge of Christ to say that you will endure to the end? Sobering? Yes. Is it possible? Absolutely. Now here's some dangers to be avoided regarding the Word of God or handling the Word of God, as it were. First, you have to be careful of not allowing a lens to be put over your eyes. When you're young in the Lord, it seems to you that almost everyone at a church is a spiritual giant because you don't know any better. It's easy to come under the influence of a well-meaning teacher or preacher who you will learn from. And that's not necessarily wrong. That's discipleship. But oftentimes, they become your interpreter of the Bible. A lens works as something that comes between you and God's Word. Almost like somebody puts glasses over your eyes. That lens is between your eye and what you're looking at and can affect what you're looking at. It happens like you were taught a certain doctrinal view before you know the scriptures and you accept it. Then for a long time, you don't even think about examining whether or not it's true. It just doesn't occur to you. Many will continue in the exact same doctrine that they received from the person or church that they began their walk with. Now, even if their doctrine is right, it can do lasting damage to your relationship with the Lord because you never learn to be alone with God. You never learn to prove all things or examine all things. There came a time in my walk when that was the case with me. I was initially led to an independent fundamental Baptist church. I was told very early on that I was, quote-unquote, eternally secure. It took years for the thought to even occur to me that I should examine my doctrine. I began at the first point and studied forward from conversion onward, using just in the scriptures. I had studied at a Bible institute and Bible college at this point, and I 
also had read the deep works on hermeneutics by some notable teachers today. When I started studying, I set aside all my presuppositions, all the things that I assumed to be true. And I proved every single line of reasoning backwards and forwards with a plain sense scriptural text. By doing so, I found out the errors that I had assumed were true with that system of thinking. Next, dangers to be avoided. One of them is setting up idols in our hearts. And there was an interesting quote from C.S. Lewis. Now, I personally don't like Lewis because I doubt his testimony of salvation. I've read his works, and I still doubt it by the words from his own mouth. Nevertheless, the man was an excellent logical thinker. He said, quote, There flashed across my opening mind the great truth that refutation is no necessary part of argument. Assume that your opponent is wrong, and then explain his error, and the world will be at your feet, said uh, C.S. Lewis in God in the Dock, page 273. Lewis called this type of logical fallacy a bulverism. I call it setting up an idol in your heart, and the Lord talks about that through the prophets in the Old Testament. It's something that you're not willing to part with. You've set it up as an idol in your heart, something that you're not willing mentally or in the affections of your mind to, to, to part with or question or even examine, and it's dangerous. It's often a pet sin or doctrine God has said that to marry a divorced person, while the former spouse is still living, is to commit adultery. Try to find a pulpit that teaches that correctly. God says that if you turn from Christ, he will cast you forth as a dead branch to be burned. Try to find a pulpit that teaches that correctly. Men seek the path of least resistance. What I have asked people more than once when asked about certain things is, can God ask too much of you? God cannot give you a hard commandment, really. He can only expose something that you were not willing to part with. That's idolatry. Whether it's a sin or a false doctrine, it can cost you your relationship with the Lord entirely. We must maintain a humble heart before the Lord. When we approach into him, we need to come understanding that everything is on the table. If he asks for it, it's his to take or change. I've been convicted by the Lord in this type of idolatry before. And I know that if I had not yielded in the matter, that he would have quietly withdrawn himself from me. The scary thing to me is that I believe it has happened to multitudes who continue in the church today. God had put his finger on something, and they refused his correction. Subsequently, he quietly departed and wrote Ichabod over their life. Now, he is certainly willing to return, if they are willing to humble themselves and accept his correction. Next, another danger to be avoided is using men's wisdom to understand God's, understand God's book. You cannot approach the Bible like a textbook. I really don't care how many preachers use that as an example or an illustration. You cannot approach the Bible like a textbook. It is the one book in existence 
that cannot be understood without first knowing its author. Now, he says, faith cometh by hearing. So, a lost person can absolutely look into the Word of God and understand things in the sense that they can understand what it's saying. But it cannot, it cannot affect their hearts without God himself doing something. It's a spiritual book, and it takes a spiritual person to learn it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 16. Not because the person is spiritual, but because God is a spirit. God has made it so that the wise in this world will mostly reject his ways because it costs them their worldly reputation. You, it takes the Spirit of God to teach the Word of God to the hearts of men. Paul the Apostle said himself that there were few wise men after the flesh, few mighty men, few noble men after the world's nobility that were called, that is, unto salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. You cannot study your way to a relationship with God. Try all the academia you want. Logic is good, but it's not the word of God. Men must first be humbled by the gospel of Christ and the knowledge of sin before they can begin to walk with God. God gives wisdom as he sees fit, but not to men who haven't humbled themselves before him. So be careful about going outside the word of God to understand God. Be careful about going to men to understand God. Whether they're a professor at a university, authors of deep intellectual works, or preachers of notable ministries, they are not God or his word. Some Christians have walked down the hall of psychology and never came back. It's very subtle. Or somebody saying, oh, I have a mood disorder. Oh, really? God said that he will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. And I speak from experience on that topic. Be careful. It is very subtle. Stay with the word of God. And anything that would cause you to say that a single verse of scripture is wrong, reject it entirely. Next. Dangers to be avoided. Exalting spirit above the word. As in all spiritual topics, the pendulum swings to the extremes. There are those who are all word and no spirit, and there are those who are all spirit and no word. You end up being either a Pharisee or a pagan. Neither is correct, and I'm suspicious of anyone who falls under the banner of either extreme. The word of God was written down by men under the direct guidance of the Spirit of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 it is the word of God that is said to be profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. But it is the Spirit of God that enables us to understand the word of God. Jesus said that when the Spirit of truth came unto the disciples, he would teach them, yes, but he would also not speak of himself. John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. The Spirit of God always glorifies Jesus Christ. He will not speak of himself. There are whole ministries that revolve around the Spirit of God, but they don't talk about the Word of God. They don't live by the Word of God. They don't love the Word of God. The, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity of God. 
Christ is the second. And just as Jesus Christ always received of the Father's words and did the Father's works because his desire was to do the will of God the Father, just as in that same relationship, the Spirit of God receives the things from Christ and from God the Father to glorify Jesus Christ. He, is, he does not want the focus on himself in that respect. And that is an error that some ministries, some denominations have greatly fallen into. Even the manifestation of the Spirit in signs and wonders was said in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, to be only to confirm the word. It's also repeated in Acts chapter 14, verse 3, where we read, Long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. These signs and wonders were a testimony by God the Father unto the word that the disciples preached. Let me try to give you an example. Some people say, the Lord told me this. And that's not necessarily wrong to say. But how do you know it's the Lord? Usually people will quote from John chapter 10 and say his sheep know his voice and another they will not follow. I don't detract from that at all. But can you see that the ground for them believing that is the fact that the word of God told them? They wouldn't otherwise have an objective fact to defend themselves if that wasn't the case. But I will say be very careful in these things. When the Lord revealed his word to Samuel, in the sense of his voice speaking to him as a prophet, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, Samuel confused it for a physical person's voice. He didn't have to guess what was said or interpret it. God spoke that clearly. We don't see prophets in the Old Testament having to discern the Lord's voice. Now, I know of people who have wandered down this avenue and got away from the scriptures, and now they have received another spirit and they believe it's more authoritative than God's word. The only spirit that would say that is another spirit, not the spirit of God. Paul's words to the Corinthians make clear that it is very easy to be deceived and receive another spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. I often find that it is through a contemplative route that people are led astray. I want to say contemplative. It's phrases like, empty your mind, they say. You know, be still and know, they say. And they rip verses from their context and meaning. Every time praying is done in the Bible, it's not with an empty mind. Christ said, after this manner, pray ye. And never once do you find in the scripture somebody just sitting in the silence of God or doing breath prayers and those sorts of things. That comes from Eastern mysticism and not from God. All I will say is be careful. I know, brethren, that exercise spiritual gifts according to the biblical pattern, and it never came through that manner. And I'm certainly not trying to take away from seeking spiritual gifts or manifestations of the Spirit of God in the body of Christ. We are told to covet earnestly the best gifts for the use of edifying the body of Christ. These things are given by God to the body as he wills, we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. But the word of God is for every child of God. Be careful to maintain the proper balance. And if I may say so, if you continue to seek the Lord in his word 
He'll keep you balanced. Next, the word of God must be mixed with faith. We're told in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. The word of God does not profit you if you don't have faith. We are told in Hebrews why the Israelites in the wilderness were overthrown. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2. It's not enough to read the Bible, study it, and memorize it. Its words are not magical incantations that just because you can recite them, they will work on you. The Lord looks on the thoughts and intents of the heart. His word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, we are told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. God is not fooled by outward appearance. The Pharisees thought that because they put scripture on paper and put it in phylacteries on their forehead or on their wrists that they were spiritual. The difference when faith is mixed with the word is seen in trials and temptations, as well as in times of ease and prosperity. Prosperity. A believer will live by the word because they believe its warnings, promises, and wisdom. God has said that men will give an account for every idle word that they speak, Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. Those that know that verse and place faith in the word will exercise themselves to guard what they say. And by the Spirit of God, they will guard what they say. They will do it because they heed the warning and believe in the God who spoke it. Also, because they walk by faith in it, God is pleased with them. They're showing their yieldedness to God as God. But if someone knows the verse and doesn't place their faith in it, then they will be swiftly rebuked by the Lord in the judgment. They knew what God had said and did not obey it. Luke chapter 12, verse 47. It is fearful to think of their end, hearers but not doers. Consider James's words. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a doer of the word, a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was." But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. It is those who hear the word, they keep it in their hearts and minds, and do it. They will be blessed in their deed. If you hear the word of God, and go your way, and forget it, you don't apply it, you don't do anything with it, you're just a forgetful hearer, and the word of God is not going to profit you, and the Lord is not going to be with you. Next, always remember, our faith is in God. God's word is an objective record of truth about and from God to man. We need to be careful to not 
missed the missed the forest because of the trees. There were endless tangents and distractions waiting to catch you if you let them. It is wonderful to study the Word of God, but don't lose your love for the God who gave His Word. It is Him that your love and affection is directed toward. It, it is God's face that you seek. Your faith is in God to do according to those things that He teaches you and promise you in His Word. Continue in the Word of God. Let it dwell richly in your hearts. Pray and seek the Lord for understanding, and with patience, He will teach you. Thank you for listening to Remnant Bible Fellowship. We do hope and pray that you would commit your life to Christ and continue in Him. We desire to see people seeking Jesus Christ and coming to know Him personally. If you have questions about salvation, the Bible, or your own walk with Christ, please contact Brother Jonathan by email. Brother John, that's J-O-N, at remnantbiblefellowship.com. That's Brother John at remnantbiblefellowship.com.